Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Josh Neighbors here. This is the Neighborhood Watch. Today it is Monday, September 18th, 2023. And on the show today, a look at some of the losses from the weekend for the Big 12. Kansas State drops a thriller to Missouri. Mike Gundy, what are we doing with the three-quarterback rotation as you lose by 26 points at home? Ohio gets the best of Iowa State. And also Cincinnati, a tough loss against Miami of Ohio. So there's a whole lot to tackle this week, uh, you know, on the show, obviously, as we get ready for a big week four. But still, we talked about the wins, the big wins, especially for uh, Pitt, or excuse me, for West Virginia over Pitt, and also BYU for Arkansas on the Sunday show. We do have to look at the losses and evaluate those as well. We'll do that here on today's show. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at NWPod365. You guys can find me at Josh Neighbors underscore as well. Find the show wherever you guys get your podcasts. Five stars there and also on YouTube. Uh, so please like the video and subscribe to the channel. So when I think about the losses for this weekend, you know, uh, K-State, I, I thought it was a pretty big one for them just because like, I wanted to see, look, is this, is this team a Big 12 title contender or are they potentially something more? They're one of those Big 12 teams that could potentially, uh, potentially go for a playoff. And uh, I thought Missouri on the road would be a good barometer of that. Uh, but then there were schools like Cincinnati who it's like, look, you just need to beat Miami of Ohio. And then you get to have a massive game, still a big game, but they're going to welcome in Oklahoma next week on big noon kickoff in their first game in the Big 12 conference. And after a win over Pitt on the road, they're now at home and they lose Miami of Ohio, which is difficult. And Iowa State, it's a whole other can of worms. But I think the K-State game is really where you want to begin first, right? Missouri 30 Kansas State 27. Okay. And for this game, you know, I, I'm a Missouri Tiger. Uh, so, you know, I'm proud of the win, happy about it, whatever. But also, I cover the Big 12 Conference. And this season, I felt like the three big contenders in the league were K State, Texas, and Oklahoma. And I still believe K State is a Big 12 title contender, but I do not believe that they're going to end up being a CFP contender in the way that a, uh, that a Texas maybe even OU could be. It's still TBD on that, but Oklahoma's a good so far. Now, mind you, 
Oklahoma did look good last year in the early going, and then they faltered later on as the season uh, you know, got more into it. And then Texas has looked so far so good, but we'll see if they have hiccups along the way. Now, if you had K-State beat Texas twice, once the regular season at Texas and then once in Arlington, they'd be making a case there, and it would depend on what else would shake out. But I would say, as for right now, it's pretty clear, like, you know, Texas is the best contender. Oklahoma might be because of how easy their schedule is. And then for the rest there, it's, you know, we I don't think we have any CFP contenders. But it's natural because those schools have been down for the last couple of years. Now they're kind of rising up, and that's the way the league has been the last few seasons as well. So I think we have to take those things into account. I mean, we saw in the last AP poll, the two schools there were OU and Texas, and nobody else was in there. I think K-State deserved to be ranked. I thought Missouri deserved to be ranked. But you see Tennessee, I mean, Florida – you know, basically beats Tennessee the same way that Utah beat them. They get to rise in the poll, but Tennessee's still ahead of them. And look, it's all aggregate and whatnot, but I'm just kind of wondering what folks were thinking about those rankings. And then these two schools, K-State and Missouri, don't get to be ranked. Kind of odd. I think it's just more of a national statement about like the brands of those schools because I don't believe that some of them should be ranked, some of them should not be ranked. I don't think it's necessarily too fair. But for the actual game itself, the big issue for K-State is this. I thought Will Howard looked really good. I don't think the receivers are really good at getting separation. I don't think the receivers are good at going down the field and getting separation. And I don't think their secondary, at least this point in time, is particularly good. Uh, I thought those were things that were exposed during the game. And I actually thought their offensive line held up pretty well. Missouri brought a lot of pressure. Will Howard was hobbling around during the game and still went out there and played well. But you know they're actually able to rush the ball somewhat effectively between Avery Johnson and the two backs. They ran the ball well. And I thought Will Howard, I know he had that tip uh, tip that would end up being the touchdown, was an excellent throw. And also had the interception too. But generally speaking, had to fit the ball in some tight windows. And I thought Will Howard was really good. And Phil Brooks is clearly, a, I mean, a really meaningful player for them because the way that he is able to help set them up on a lot of possessions with the way he returns things on special teams. We saw that time after time after time. So I think those things were encouraging. I just, I, I think the secondary, and look, a lot of secondaries are going to get burned by Luther Burden, but we saw Mookie Cooper have success. We also saw Theo Weiss have some success, and that was the best passing game that I've seen Brady Cook have against an actual opponent as a Missouri Tiger. And uh, it's been an up and down, I mean, it's been up and down for him as a passer. Uh, they laid the wood to him, so good job there, but... Yeah, I think those concerns are pretty valid. Now, look, like, I still think K-State's the better team, to be honest. Uh, you know, I think with coaching and whatnot, like, Kansas State, to me, was a better team. But Missouri made some big plays. Obviously, having Harrison Mevis hit a 61-yard field goal after they completely screwed up was really nice to have. But, too, you have to, you have to consider, like, you know, uh, Missouri does have a decent amount of talent on that team. And Kansas State lost some of the talent they had on last year's team. But I still think the world, of, I mean, with what Will Howard has become, like he is an NFL quarterback, in my opinion. I'm not sure what level, but like if Adrian Martinez is there, he is better than that. And so I think Will Howard's got some ability. And I think this team showed last year an ability to recover from losses in a very, very strong way. So I'm not concerned overall. And the good news for them is they have not hit conference play yet. So that's really important for them as they move forward. They have not yet hit conference play. So the Big 12, everything's still ahead of them. But they did put some stuff on tape that would make you concerned and make you think, hey, a lot of these schools, a lot of Big 12 schools, you know, the 
Texas Techs of the world, the Texases of the world, the Oklahomas of the world have seen some things with a vertical passing game that would allow them to take advantage of that K-State secondary. And that's what I came from that game thinking uh, after that. So a lot to clean up there. But still, I thought some positives from that game. All right, Oklahoma State. We got to talk about them next. I know I have Iowa State on here, but we'll get to that in a little bit because I'm actually not really too sure what to make of, of that loss. South Alabama, 33. Oklahoma State, 7. Now, I saw some stuff today on this Monday where our man Marshall Scott uh, asked Mike Gundy about his quarterback rotation. And Mike Gundy is sticking to his guns. Big shocker. Right? Uh, He is going to continue to rotate QBs. He wants to play all three guys. He thinks it's the best way to play. He was asked about how how all three played. And he said, I thought they all played pretty well. Alan Bowman, or excuse me, Gunnar Gundy was 9 of 18 for 64 yards. That is not good. Alan Bowman was 6 of 12 for 42. Not good and also a pick. And Garrett Rangel was 1 for 5 for 8 yards, especially not good. They ran the ball for 3.2 yards a carry. That is not good. And the passing game was not very effective. Their defense also was not excellent. Uh, They were not, you know, they got outgained by basically 200 yards in this game. And it doesn't always tell a story, but, uh, and also, I mean, uh, South Alabama was rushing for 5.2 a carry. So they went on the road last week and they beat an ASU team. And I was like, all right, we got to stop the rotation. Like just pick a guy, even if it doesn't go well, like pick a guy because this team just does not seem convinced. Like collectively this Oklahoma state Cowboys team does not seem locked in. They do not seem convinced. They do not have a leader. And from the folks that I've spoken to about football, they even mentioned about Kansas State, the unquestioned leader of the Kansas State Wildcats is Will Howard. Who is the offensive leader for Oklahoma State? They do not have one. Playing, They say if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. If you've got three quarterbacks, you especially do not have a quarterback. That is challenging. There is a rhythm. There is a relationship. And these receivers are expected to cultivate a relationship with not one, not two, but three separate quarterbacks. The offensive line is supposed to cultivate. The center is supposed to cultivate a relationship with not one, not two, not three. You say, Josh, you're beating a dead horse here. Yeah, well, Mike Gundy should know better than this. Playing three quarterbacks does not give them the best chance to win games. They were underwhelming against UCA. The offense eventually got together, but they were not great in that entire game against Arizona State. I thought it should be Rangel because he closed the game out. You might say, well, Josh, Rangel was bad. Yeah, if I had to come in late in games like that too, I'm not sure I would be very good. Okay, so like I, I just don't know what they're doing at this point in time. You need to pick somebody. Mike Gundy has been doing this long enough, and he knows better. Now, he has earned the right to make mistakes. That is sure. I, I am absolutely sure about that. And is their Big 12 schedule very challenging? No, they actually drew a pretty good straw in that category. But Mike Gundy needs to make a choice. And it sounds like his choice, at least on Monday, September 18th, 2023, is I'm going to die on this dumbass sword of, of playing three quarterbacks. Like, it's not working. It's, I mean, you, okay, three games is 25% of your season. If you unpack it like this, what is the easiest 25% 
of your season. I would venture to say that UCA at home, Central Arkansas at home, at Arizona State, and South Alabama is the easiest fourth. You've scored 27, and you won 27-13. You scored 27, and you won 27-15. to And you scored seven against Central Arkansas. I mean, an Arizona State team that you had Rashada, but still a second start. It's not, it's not a very good team. And then South Alabama, you scored seven points. You got at Iowa State, K-State, and Kansas. I know Iowa State's not very good, but I would say K-State and Kansas are. So that, that's, that's, a, that's a harder stre- uh, stretch than that first three. At West Virginia, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma is a harder stretch than that first three. At UCF, at Houston, and BYU at home is a harder stretch, in my opinion, than that first three games. You got through your hardest stretch of games, uh, your easiest stretch, rather. You scored, let's see, 61 points. So you're averaging just over 20 points a game, but you played a Sunbelt team, one of, maybe the worst Pac-12 team, and then Central Arkansas, who's actually a pretty decent FCS team. But like Central Arkansas is not, I mean, it's not North Dakota State. They just played North Dakota State and they actually hung in the game pretty well, but like they couldn't stop them. So you're not playing world beaters. And that game was a one score game in the third, fourth quarter, third or fourth quarter, when Gunnar Gundy got introduced to the mixed. So look, like, am I, I want this thing to work and I love Mike Gundy. You know, I'm not saying I'm agree with him all the time about everything, but I want this thing to work for Oklahoma State. But he's doing it. The, he's doing the I'm doing it my way thing, and it's not working. Like the best season that they had in recent memory was when Mike Gundy went away from typical Mike Gundy stuff, and they said we're going to run the football with Jalen Warren. We're going to have Spencer Sanders make the throws that he needs to, and then we're going to play really good defense. And they ended up going to the Big Twelve Championship game, and they were inches away at the goal line of winning the Big Twelve Championship, and they were honestly inches away from being undefeated in that Iowa State game. When it looked like uh, forgetting a Presley maybe had the, had the ball there in the catch, you know, like I always bring this up, like they almost beat Iowa State that year, the one loss. So, look, man, like that worked, and this is something different, though. This is not being adapt. This is not adapting to your roster at all. Like playing three guys, I, I feel pretty confident, and he knows. He knows. Mike Gundy knows 10 times more about football. Mike Gundy will forget 10, 10 times more about football than I ever will. But I have been around football people long enough to know that playing three quarterbacks is not giving you the best chance to win. Not uh, uh, Robbing your team of a leader is not the best way to get the team where it needs to be. Pick a guy. And you might be wrong, but I can promise you it might be better than three separate guys. And if the first guy doesn't work out, you can pick a second guy. But but mix it all three in. Like, it does not – I feel pretty confidently in saying does not give you the best chance to win. So, and then we'll see because we they have a team coming in this week. And let's get to Iowa State now. Iowa State loses to Ohio 10-7. to This is the problem I have with this game. So, I remember when I was at the University of Missouri, the most upset I ever was about a loss was this one. I picked Middle Tennessee State to beat Mizzou. I forget what year it was. And it happened. And Middle Tennessee State hung 50-some points on them. Now I was really upset because I was like, you know what? We're a Power 5 school. We have some talent. I should not be able to say Middle Tennessee State is going to come to the University of Missouri and beat us. I should not be able to say that. The same thing applies here. I know Iowa State's not very good. I know they're dealing with this whole betting situation and whatnot. 
But man, I looked at that Ohio game and I said, I think Ohio is going to beat them. I feel pretty confidently, pretty strongly about this. I think Ohio is going to beat Iowa State. Well, they did. Uh, now, there was only a two-point spread. So you can you know, say, Josh, it was supposed to be a close game. But I feel the frustration of, of Matt Campbell. You saw it after the game. I feel the frustration of Iowa State fans. The special teams are bad. After three quarters, I put this thing out on Twitter. After three quarters of play on Saturday, Iowa State had six first downs. They were one for eight on third down. They had 151 yards of total offense, and they had not been in the red zone. Against Ohio. Ohio is a decent MAC team. Caden O'Rourke is a good quarterback. That still cannot happen, and we all know it cannot happen. You know, I, I, right now, being in Arkansas, people are talking about the BYU game, and they're upset. What I told folks is this. BYU is a good program. They've got some good players. You can be disappointed in a loss, but, like, when do things become ex- unacceptable? And if you're an Iowa State fan, if you make the unacceptable argument to me, I would hear it. And if, you, if you're Oklahoma State losing by 26 at home to, uh, to a team like USA – is inexcusable, right? It just, it cannot happen. I would hear the same argument here, right? These losses are inexcusable. Now, like, it's funny I say that. I mean, if you were to say, well, it is excusable, I I think there is an argument for it to be inexcusable is my point. The USA loss is not. With everything that's happening right now for Iowa State, we knew this roster would not be good. And honestly, if they have Hunter Deckers, I actually think they win the game. Because I I thought Hunter Deckers would improve some this year. But they don't. And they lost a running back. They lose an offensive lineman. They lose a wide receiver. Lost defensive play, like all all of these guys that they lose because of, the, and, and they were already short in depth then. Um, you know, I think Matt Campbell's gonna look at it and be like, all right, you know, by hook or by crook, like your roster is what it is, and he'd love to do the five star culture thing all the time, and I would love for that to work. But we're seeing at Clemson, and we are seeing at Iowa State, you need to use the transfer portal to your advantage, and I don't feel like they are enough at this point in time. They have to go away. And I don't know five-star culture is about getting certain kind of guys, but like the portal is the way you grow teams, the way you make teams more competitive. And you can be selective in the portal, but like we saw with like Duke, Mike Elko is taking players from other ACC schools, putting them in the, in the Duke secondary, and the Duke secondary looks a lot better because of it. There are other examples of using the portal effectively, getting guys in there. A.D. Mitchell at Texas. I'm not saying those are the guys that they are going to be getting. But you guys get my point, right? And they might have to make some wholesale changes in the portal. Look, do I think Matt Campbell's a bad coach? No. I am trending towards the idea maybe that like he should leave. And I, look, I'm not sure he's going to give him a, another job elsewhere in the Power Five. But like, he's not just a bad coach now. I just think that job is really difficult. And if you're going to do things a five-star culture, like, I still think there's a way you can mix it up between the five-star culture thing, but also like getting the kind of guys you want in the portal and, and making this thing work. I think there is a there is a uh, there's some duality. We can, we can do it both. Do I know exactly what it looks like? No, I'm not sure 100. percent I think there are ways that we can make both work. All right, the final loss did not have too many eyes on this one, but we will mention it. We have to talk about it. Oh, I want to mention DCU and Houston as well. Uh, Cincinnati and Miami of Ohio. Miami of Ohio 31. Cincinnati. 24. You get to overtime, things can kind of get sideways. The good news for Cincinnati is that they can run the football. The bad news for them is the passing attack is not great. 
Um, and they let they let Brett Gabbard, you know, uh, throw for three touchdowns in this game. All right. Um, I think this goes back to something that we kind of knew before the year. Like Cincinnati is not that good, and that is a huge problem, right? I mean, I think the roster for them is going to take some some time to overhaul. So I was really impressed. But once again, Pitt is bad, and they had to hang on for dear life in the end of that Pitt game. But they had, I mean, they had, you know, they had touchdown the first drive. They go downs, field goal, field goal, interception, end of half, punt, field goal, touchdown, punt, miss field goal, end of game. Like they had, they are, they are such a variety show at this point. Uh, you never really know what you're going to get from Cincinnati. And, you know, that, that first game against Eastern Kentucky was a little bit of smoke and mirrors, in my opinion. Um, you know, or at least not smoke and mirrors. But you're not – you just don't know what you're going to get, right? I feel like and that, 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 that game against Pitt was a little bit of variety as well. Um, but I would say this. I would say that, like, I still think they're not off to a bad start. If you told me they were 2-1, and one, I'd say that's what they should be. The problem is it's almost like the Houston situation. Well, the, pro, the issue is their, their, their loss was Rice, right? So if they were 1-1 one and one, – after two weeks, you're like, well, they lost to UTSA. You'd say, okay, that makes sense. They're one and two at this point to you. You lost to UTSA and you lost to TCU. That's actually okay. The problem with them is their loss was Rice. And they get drubbed by TCU. So now it's kind of the vibes are way off. Uh, and that's what I would say for Cincinnati as well. The vibes are not totally there. Speaking of TCU in Houston, big rebound for the Horned Frogs, who are now two and one. They go to Houston and they beat them up pretty good. And now TCU is two and one. They're on the board in conference play. Chandler Morris is starting to look good. Amani Bailey had an awesome day carrying the rock, as did Trey Sanders. They fed a bunch of different receivers in this game. And so overall, TCU, you know, they they were uh, the first half was like pretty close, but they pitched. They actually did the Joe, Joe Gillespie special. They pitched a second half shutout. And so the offense was pretty consistent throughout the game, scoring in each quarter. And then, you know, and the, like they were never behind the eight ball in this game. They were always at least one score up from the word go. Very first drive of the game is a touchdown. And from then on, they were always winning this game. In the, uh, the third quarter, they put some distance between them and Houston. And guys, there's a Houston. This is the second half drive chart for Houston. Three plays down, three plays punt, three plays punt. Uh, six plays punt, seven plays downs, and seven plays downs, right? So TCU really did a great job in that second half. And Houston was four of 15 on third down. Oh, for four on fourth down. The final yardage, TCU, 564, Houston, 266. They win by 23 points. Pretty indicative scoreline of where this game was. And so TCU, like I was pretty confident Sonny Dykes was going to get this thing turned around. And I think a big part of it is like I bet Kaz Kazadi is going to start laying into people. I think Sonny Dykes last year could kind of sit back just a touch and let things go well because that team almost ran itself in some ways. But that, but that also means Sonny Dykes knew it could. This team, it's a bit more hands-on, especially because you're changing one of the coordinators. You lost a lot of players, and they went out there and they took care of us. I don't think Sonny's ever going to be like too hands-on, super hands-on, but I think Sonny Dykes learned from his mistakes uh, after the first game of the season because they were not disciplined. They were not locked in. The players admitted so. So I, I think that is where you got it. Uh, moving forward, we're not going to break it up into wins and losses because every game, we're going to get conference games coming up here. 
So we'll do that. And thank you all for hanging in today. I'm not sure if you all can tell. I'm a little sick. Road's not feeling great. Um, maybe it's a change of weather or whatever, but I'm I'm battling through this one. So I appreciate you all hanging in there uh, with me on this. Please like the video. Please subscribe to the channel as well. Find us on Twitter at NWPod365. You guys can find me at Josh Neighbors underscore. We'll see you all tomorrow.